Hi campers, welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Immature History. Thank you. Um, welcome. You're going to have so much fun. Oh yeah, buckle in. We're ready. Who goes yeah. first? I think it's you. It's me. All right. So once again, this isn't quite a um, Wikipedia article. Um, okay. It is from, well, it says timeline.com, but I'm pretty sure it's medium. Mm. I don't know. Um, and this is the story of the boy Jones. Okay. Do you know the boy Jones? I do not. Okay. Oh, and this article is by Stephanie Buck. It was originally published um, in July of 2017. Okay. Okay. One of the earliest celebrity stalkers in recorded history lived in the walls of Buckingham Palace by day and stole Queen Victoria's panties by night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Um, no. This was not on the ground. No, this this is not um, like spooky per se, but having someone live in your walls and steal your underwear is pretty creepy. So I'm allowing it. And during Spooktember. Very creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Around 5 a.m. the morning of December 14th, 1838, a night porter glimpsed a face in his window. Creepy. It appeared to be smudged with soot and belonged to a grinning, impish young man, which I'm... I think possibly that when they say young man, what they actually mean is boy child. Like he's, he seems to be like a a young kid. Um, But I don't Um, know. Yeah. Suddenly the face disappeared. After a brief search, the porter discovered that one of the palace's rooms had been ransacked. He sounded the alarm and a chase ensued. A constable spotted the young man running across the lawn. He captured the intruder and brought him back to the kitchen where the light was better. Not only was the boy's face covered in grease, his clothes were slick with the substance. He wore two pairs of pants, which like, okay. Um, Okay. (laughs) Seems uncomfortable, (laughs) but all right. Um, When police stripped the outer layer off, several pairs of ladies' undergarments fell out. So like, oh no. Yeah. A weird... Like hamster type. (laughs) Are we sure this wasn't a hamster? No. Uh, Somehow. Oh, this is a quote. Somehow the boy had made it into the palace, scrolling through the staterooms. Nope. Strolling. They didn't scroll back then. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it was on an actual scroll. Yes. True. Great point. Strolling through the staterooms, corridors, and bedrooms like they had, like if they had belonged to him, wrote Jan Bondeson, Bondeson in Queen Victoria's Stalker, The Strange Story of the Boy Jones. He had entered the queen's room and, along with her underwear, had stolen her portrait, a letter, and a collection of linens. Fortunately, the queen had been staying at Windsor Castle that night. Oh, When pressed, the boy gave his name as Edward Cotton. The police learned he had hidden behind the furniture or inside the chimneys during the day. At night, he strolled the halls and poked about. Sometimes during meetings between the queen and her ministers, he simply hid under a table and eavesdropped. This is very much Michael Scott trying to eavesdrop (laughs) via the cheese cart. (laughs) 
so good. Um, when hungry, he helped himself to the kitchen. When he got too dirty, he rinsed his only shirt in the wash. So two pairs of pants, only one shirt. Yeah, not lining up, I guess. He had been living (laughs) in the palace this way for nearly a year. So just in the walls of Buckingham Palace. (laughs) Yikes. Uh, And for years after, despite his arrest, he would return time and again to pester the palace and creep out Queen Victoria. The staff dubbed him Boy Jones. Though not quite to the same extent, the nation was also enamored of Victoria. The previous two kings, her uncles, were corrupt, ineffectual, and old. Victoria was young and innocent, a clean slate for the nation. Her celebrity grew. Admirers threw letters into her carriage and visited the palace with marriage proposals. In July of 1838, a silversmith named Thomas Flower was found sleeping in a chair close to the queen's bedroom. One of <laughs> this is so good. One of her persistent admirers, he had gained entry to the palace and, growing tired in his search for Victoria, fell asleep. <laughs> Just <laughs> the idea that you go to such great lengths to break into a palace and try to like find yeah. the queen, presumably for nefarious reasons. And then you're just like, right. Eh, I'm just going to just mm-hmm. sit right here and take a quick nap. <laughs> yeah. Just need a little nap. Yeah. I got to <laughs> build up some energy. <laughs> he, he was sent to prison, but two friends bailed him out for 50 pounds. Palace bureaucracy made for laughable if inefficiency. The tasks of managing such an operation were assigned to numerous defi- divisions and offices. For instance, two different departments were responsible for cleaning the inside and the outside of palace windows, respectively. Once, when the queen asked for a fire, an employee of the Lord Steward, who managed some of the house's servants, replied that, that was impossible. He was responsible <laughs> for building the fire, and another department was tasked with lighting it. Okay. <laughs> so great job, everyone. You really did great. Security really know how to delegate. Yeah. <laughs> security <laughs> was equally sloppy. No one person headed up Buckingham Buckingham security at the time. Palace of police were organized by their territories, and the royal bodyguards made up the A division. The unit was conspicuously absent the night Boy Jones broke in. What's more, the walls oh. of the palace were low and looped. With tree branches, drunks, soldiers, and tramps were often found sleeping in the garden behind the walls. Just like, what is happening? (laughs) Have these ramps around basically for anyone to come in and attack. Uh, As for Edward Cotton, on December 19th, he appeared before the magistrates. The police office was packed with journalists. A witness identified the young man as his former errand boy who went by the name Edward Jones. His estranged father backed up the ID. Doesn't sound so estranged, but Mm -mm. yeah. Uh, When the magistrates questioned the spy's motivations, Jones replied he had found all the stolen items on the lawn. (laughs) (laughs) So great job. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Really good excuse there. Uh, Oh boy. He said, I'm going to send you to trial, promised the magistrate. Oh, very well with all my heart, replied the boy with composure. (laughs) In the end, after a trial filled with laughter and and incredulity, incredulity, how do you say that? Incredulity. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm fine. Uh, The jury returned a verdict of not guilty. The police sergeant actually turned and congratulated Jones. That's a red flag. Like, yikes. Do not congratulate voyeurs for getting off. You weirdo. Oh my God. 
<sighs> the fact that he had managed to live undetected for so long indicated superior talents and intelligence. However, no. <laughs> you're using them wrong, buddy. Like, oh. he just hoped. You could say Don't, the same thing yeah. about serial killers. Like, they got, yeah. some of them have gotten away with it for so long. They're so mm-hmm. talented. They're, yes, you could, you could say that they're very talented <laughs> at this. Uh, that doesn't yeah. mean that they should be, you know, like, oh, all right, you got us. We'll, we'll <laughs> let it, we'll let it slide because you're smarter than us. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, so the police sergeant just hoped Jones directed them to some his superior talents and intelligence to something more worthwhile. Yes. Thank you, sir, replied the boy Jones before leaving court. <laughs> Not two years later, Jones climbed the palace walls once again. It was two weeks after this Victoria bitch. had given birth to her first child with Prince Albert. That December 3rd, 1840, the Queen's governess discovered the boy Jones under the sofa in the room adjacent to the Queen's boudoir. And then, quote, supposing he had come into the bedroom, how frightened I should have been, wrote Victoria in her journal. I mean, I think it's still fair to be frightened, even if he didn't make it all the way into the bedroom. But yeah, he's in your house. Yeah, he's in your house, which theoretically should have a lot better security. Yeah, it's a palace for Christ's sake. Yeah. Jones was again arrested and tried. His insanity plea was thrown out and he was sentenced to three months probation. (laughs) After his release in March, he attempted to gain entry to the palace again and got three months of hard labor for his trouble. (laughs) At this point, the courts didn't know what to do with him. The crime wasn't a felony, so they couldn't lock him in a British prison. But like, hey, it's been several years. Make it a felony. Make it a felony. I mean... (laughs) The thought that he's getting by on a technicality. Uh, Yeah, just change the law at this Mm -hmm. point. Yeah. So then they did the logical thing and tried to convince him to join the Navy. Sure. Yeah. Naturally. As one does. But he wouldn't. Um. Quote, Edward Jones was a very weird character, and apart from Queen Victoria, he was never interested in women, author Jan Hmm. Bondison told BBC. Quote, he was a very solitary character, but he was not schizophrenic or classed as mad, just odd. After his latest release, when Jones is caught loitering near the palace once more... This is where things kind of escalate. The government shipped oh, the no. young man to Brazil. <laughs> so it's like, oh no. Did we freeze? Mm. The curse. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Okay. We're going to cut all the, that out. The curse Ugh. is happening. It's the curse. We're cursed. Okay. You said things started to escalate and then you. Okay. Yep. Um, Okay. So this is where things kind of start to escalate. So after his latest release, when Jones was caught loitering near the palace once more, the government shipped the young man to Brazil. So. Oh boy. Um, well, that like, solves hey, that. Hey, we let you off because we thought you were smart. Um, and then strike two happened, and we were like, "Hey, do you want to join the navy?" But strike three, we're shipping you to Brazil. Yeah, you're Brazil's problem now. What? <laughs> um, I mean, that's a big red flag for. A, but you know, 
with that time though, I'm surprised they didn't just lock him up indefinitely. Yeah. Right. So he and was say, kept on a prison we said ship. So. Yeah. Yeah. He, mm. So he was kept on a prison ship offshore for six years, um, which obviously did exactly what they wanted it to and re, you know, reformed him, um, made him a, a less creepy person. During this time, he became an alcoholic and later a burglar and managed to return to Britain. So we're doing great. <laughs> um, it can't be stopped. Yeah, he can't be tamed. He was deported to Australia <laughs> once more, uh, where he sold pies <laughs> before a calling, sure, people, before managing to sneak oh, yeah. back to London again. Finally, he returned to Australia and worked as the town crier in Perth. In the 1880s, in an attempt to escape his notoriety, the ex-con took up the name Thomas Jones. Quote, he was very annoyed about always being known for being the queen's stalker and felt persecuted by the jokes, even in Australia, said Bonison. Sure. So sure. persecuted. Mm. Yeah. Persecuted I mean, is a just strong word. Don't, you know, don't break into people's houses and then people it's will have anything to say about you. Yeah. Like it's all on you. Uh, Jones died in 1893 after falling off a bridge while drunk. By then, Queen Victoria had added more palace guards. Good. Good for her. Yeah. I mean, could have probably done that after the first incident, but what do I know? Yeah. They didn't they didn't elect me queen. So (laughs) I don't know that queens are elected. um, But yeah. But they should be, maybe. They should be. Um, yeah, um, that's the story of the boy Jones. The, so creepy. Thank you. The, yeah. <laughs> the famous historical stalker. Yeah. Um, so mine is not creepy or scary, but it is about another curse. Oh, okay. Bring really on a curse kick. Do we think, yeah. <laughs> Do we think all of these curses will just eventually kind of cancel each other out? I think they have not, to. We're running quite the risk. <laughs> yeah let's try to cancel it out we'll just pile on the curses um (laughs) so this is called the sweater curse (laughs) so and this is from wikipedia the sweater curse or curse of the love sweater is a term used by knitters to describe the belief that if a knitter gives a hand-knit sweater to a significant other, it will lead to the recipient breaking up with the knitter. (laughs) Oh. I love a good superstition. Oh, same. In an alternative formulation, the relationship will end before the sweater is even completed. The belief is widely discussed in knitting publications. <laughs> That's sure, so funny to me. Sure. That all the most <laughs> important topics. Knitters, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I feel like you'd really have to scrounge for content, you know, in yeah, a, because a knitting publication. Yeah. Knitting doesn't like change that much. There's not a lot like, not going a lot on of, with it. Yeah. <laughs> um. In, 2000, in a 2005 poll, 15% of active knitters said they had experienced the sweater curse firsthand, and 41% considered it a possibility that should be taken seriously. So, 
Okay, here's I'm gonna add a little bit of um math here, I think, because you said it was 14% of knitters had experienced this firsthand. Uh-huh. Um I I have known how to knit for a long time and I've never even bothered to tackle a sweater because it's really hard <laughs> and I don't and yeah. it takes a lot of time. And so I'm thinking if like 14% of all knitters, I have to imagine that like, I don't know, probably like 30 to 40% of minimum of people who know how to knit have never tried a sweater. So that's like right. a pretty, I mean, it just speaks to the curse's potency because that seems like a much higher number, of, you know, or a, a higher number. percentage of people who have tried a sweater and, you know, who meet the criteria. Yeah, I would love to see the data, the research. Yeah. Let's make a graph. Um, yeah, we'll make a graph. Let's make a Oh, despite its name, the sweater curse is treated in knitting literature not as a superstition governed by paranormal forces, but rather as a real-world pitfall of knitting that has rational explanations. <laughs> so that's good, I guess. Okay, yeah, we love a rational curse. <laughs> Several plausible mechanisms for the sweater curse have been proposed, but it has not been studied systematically. I would love if they did a study on this. Can we we please conduct that study? Yes. Okay, great. The existence of the phenomenon is anecdotal and may be related to confirmation bias. Knitters may remember breakups more clearly after giving a hand-knit sweater, which represents a significant investment Mm -hmm. of money uh, and romantic imagination. And, you know, time. (laughs) Time and effort. Sorry, there were a lot of um, parentheses that I skipped over. (laughs) They were doing the math. Uh. Uh, Okay. Proposed mechanisms. So although the existence of this effect remains uncertain, it is a common belief amongst the knitting population and several plausible mechanisms uh, for the sweater curse have been suggested within knitting periodicals and books. So some of the um, (laughs) mechanisms are unlucky timing, Mm-hmm. Uh, knitting a sweater takes a long time and the relationship dies of natural causes during its <laughs> making. <laughs> Rescue mission. The knitter senses subconsciously that the relationship is about to end and knits a sweater as a gesture to save it. Hmm. Catalyst for analyzing the relationship. Um, that's a long paragraph, but that's pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. Um, Aversion. The significant other may simply not want to wear anything hand knit (laughs) (laughs) or just may not like the sweater. You know, it doesn't have to be (laughs) all hand hand things. Yeah. (laughs) A hand knit sweater can also subject them to ridicule, either because the sweater (laughs) looks bad or conveys overly domestic connotations. (laughs) Oh my God. This is a really well written Wikipedia page. Yeah, I love it. Um, misdirected attention. The knitter loves their sweater a little too much and pesters the significant other about the sweater. Alternatively, the knitter loves to knit too much and spends too much time with their knitting instead of the significant other. (laughs) Insufficient gratitude. 
The knitter sees the sweater as a significant thing, having chosen the pattern and color, color carefully and having invested hours of labor. The recipient sees it as just another sweater and the resulting lack of gratitude leads to tension in the relationship. Okay. That one's fair. I would be pissed if someone was just like, oh, just another sweater. Bye. Yeah, we'd break up immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't just pour my blood, sweat and tears into this. Right. Um, and the last one is new interests. The knitter may have discovered a new aspect of their personality previously unexplored to be of greater interest than the receiver understands. Having joined a knitting community, <laughs> spending all their time reading about and thinking about knitting, potentially being <laughs> secretive about their new interest in hopes of surprising okay. the recipient, which may manifest as reminiscent of adulterous behavior or loss of interest in the relationship, thus alienating the soon-to-be recipient. <laughs> oh, my God. Can you this imagine? is so well thought out. Yeah. Can you imagine like the Hallmark movie where, um, you know, it's almost Christmas and someone is being like really secretive and, you know, absent and dodgy and they're like, oh, gonna, you know, they're cheating on me. And then they like confront them and it's just this like sweater. It's <laughs> An ugly yeah it's, it's an ugly sweater uh, um okay. and then the last section on this wikipedia article is avoiding the curse okay for many knitters making a hand knit gift is an emotional experience an extended affectionate meditation on the person receiving the gift a metaphor commonly used by knitters is i knit my love into every stitch <laughs> I never heard of it before, but I knit my hair into every stitch (laughs) and your dog's hair. That shit is everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Since, (laughs) since giving too significant a gift too early in a relationship can evoke apprehension. Knitters have been advised to match the knitted gift to the stage in the relationship, beginning with hats, mittens, scarves, or socks before graduating to sweaters. Graduate. (laughs) Sense. It does. This next sentence. Many knitters also wait until marriage. (laughs) 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 Before making a sweater for a significant other. Is it because the needle is too phallic? What is? Yeah, it's because the Bible says so. The Bible (laughs) says you shall not make a sweater until you're married. Yeah. Common sense advice to knitters is that they should determine whether the recipient would ever wear a hand-knitted sweater. Knitters have also been advised to involve the significant other in designing the sweater uh, and follow their suggestions, even if the knitter objects. Several books offer practical design advice for avoiding the sweater curse. (laughs) Oh, my God. And that's the sweater curse. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Remind me to never knit you a sweater. Yes. And that I ends our friendship. And not take a breakup here. Yeah. <laughs> it would ruin me. <laughs> yeah. I'll start with a, I'll knit you a scarf. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Let's work our yeah, way up. We'll work our way up. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll see if we're ready. <laughs> We've only known each other 10 years. It's fine. Yeah. It's a big <laughs> commitment, though. <laughs> I'll crochet you a doily. Okay. And, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, just don't spend too much time on it. <laughs> yeah, I won't. Okay. Um, cool, cool, cool. Campers. Yeah, I mean, you Thanks. know the drill. Don't knit a yeah. sweater. Yeah. Um, don't just... break into the Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. Practice safe knitting. Please. And wait until yeah. marriage, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> For the love of God. That is yeah. a sacred, a sacred time. All yeah, right. we we don't promote premarital sweater, sweater knitting. knitting. Yeah. <laughs> we we don't discourage it though. That's right. Yeah. And we yeah. will see you all next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs>